Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, brought to you by Expedition Archery. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 43, where we cover public land elk hunting with Jared Scheffler. Hello, and thanks again for tuning in to the Transition Wild Podcast, the number one source for Western big game hunting. I hope you're having a great day. It's middle of May right now in Colorado. The weather's getting warm, and I'm ready to get outside and, and hike and, and start kind of doing some summer prep and shooting the bow and, and all those things. It's After today's podcast, it really has me thinking about elk season, and, and the reality is it's really not that far away. You talk June, July, the month of August, that's three months until opening day of of archery season is is live and here and at our doorstep in Colorado. So I'm I'm starting to get into the elk mood. I'm starting to get into the zone of, of thinking and, and preparation about that. So if you if you're planning on your first hunt this fall, um, I hope you're doing the same because it will be here before you know it. The new and improved 2019 Colorado Elk Hunting Guide PDF download is available on TransitionWild.com. So if you're planning your first elk hunt to Colorado this year, I recommend going to the website, subscribe. I will send you that guide for free. It's simply a 10-page guide that walks you through scouting, planning where to hunt, draw statistics, draw odds, uh, gear, um, where to hunt, when to hunt, all that good stuff. So if you're interested and you're looking for a little Kickstarter on, on how to get started with elk hunting in Colorado, go to transitionwild.com, subscribe. I will send you that for free. Speaking of elk hunting, if you're looking to do a public land elk hunt in Colorado, I've got some options for you. I'm completely booked for 2019 archery hunts uh, or cabin rentals for archery hunting, but I do have some rifle spots open. So if you're drawing a tag for first season or buying a over-the-counter tag for second season rifle in Colorado, hit me up. I've got some really cool options, cabins at 10,000 feet and uh, really cool spot and really, uh, you know, serious advantage to come back to you after a long day of hunting. Um, so let me know on that. Hit me up, adam at transitionwild.com. All right, I don't use this word very often, but <laughs> because it makes me sound like a like a bro, uh, you know that type of talk. But today's podcast is epic. I I will I will use that word today because it truly is. Jared Scheffler, uh, most of you probably know him from his whitetail hunting and in the DVD series Whitetail Adrenaline. Um, Badass content, spot and stock, public land hunting, from the ground, in your face, raw and real. Um, so most of you know him from that, but he has really jumped on the elk train the last three, four years. And in today's episode, we talk about just that. Um, and Jared is really a wealth of knowledge. If you've seen the DVDs, you know he kind of just shows up to the area and reads the sign and and plays for that day. And we talk a lot a lot about tactics he uses. Um, you know when he when he gets to a certain area and how he goes about uh, finding elk and and getting in on them and 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 ultimately killing some great bulls. Uh, him and his crew. So it's it's a really really 
interesting, fun. Uh, Jared has some really funny stories. I was laughing uh, pretty much the whole time. Uh, I, I just had a ball. So um, I, I really, really hope you guys enjoy this one. And let's not wait any longer. Let's get Jared Scheffler on the line. Before we begin, today's episode is brought to you by Expedition Archery, manufacturer of the world's finest archery experience. Expedition bows combine aerospace level quality, innovative designs, and a fluid feel serious hunters demand. Test drive one today at your nearest archery retailer and view their full lineup at expeditionarchery.com. Why settle for status quo when opportunity and adventure awaits? Make your next hunt an expedition. All right, I'm lined with you now. We have Jared Scheffler of Whitetail Adrenaline. How's it going today, Jared? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Adam? Doing well. Beautiful day here in Colorado. How's everything out in uh, Wisconsin? It's beautiful, but I'm spending most of my time indoors this time of year, which, <laughs> which is where I'd like to be. But but yeah. uh, now that I'm popping my head outside, yeah, it's a beautiful day. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. Full sunny, you know? So. Yeah. I noticed, yeah. I noticed when I started my, my blog and do it, you know, producing articles, doing the podcast, doing videos and stuff. Like I actually spend less time outside and hunting because I'm kind of caught up in that, in that circle. Are you kind of the same way? Yeah, isn't that funny how that works? We just hunt for a living. That's yeah. a, you, know, that's yeah. I, you know, like if I had a dollar for every time I heard that and then, and then in the back of my head, like, yeah, if you only really knew how it really works. <laughs> yeah. And what, what, what I've actually like with people that I've gotten to know a little bit that come to the shows all the time, you know, that have brought it up to me, what, I, what I've actually been saying more recently is like, you know, when they, when they joke and say, you know, I'd like to hunt for a living, I always joke back and I say, I say, well, when you figure out how to make a living just hunting and only hunting, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth, man. That's the truth. There's, there's a lot that comes with it. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even, you know, myself working in the quote unquote industry with Quiet Cat, that's what, you know, a lot of people assume the same thing. They're like, oh, man, you know, you get to, you know, go on hunts and, and, and deal with that stuff all the time. It's like, well, you know, I get to talk to people who, who are in that, but you know, I, myself, it's not like I'm out, you know, using these bikes and, and going on hunting trips all the time. It's just not reality, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> but it's all good. I'm definitely not going to complain. Uh, so you, so you've been, uh, you've been editing. That's basically your life right now is editing the next video series for the fall, right? Correct. Yep. Yep. This time of year. So basically I basically got three stages of, of what I'm doing throughout the year. So you know, right around the first of the year is when, when I wrap up filming from the past fall and then I go into getting everything ready for the, the shows. Like we do a quite a few consumer shows from about late January through like almost the first week of April. And it's, it's pretty much about every weekend, Yeah, but it's oh, not yeah. really just, it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but then you have, you know, you have travel in there driving through the night or whatever, then you have setting up the booth and then, you get, and then you're, you're there for three days and then you, you got to tear it down and, and do that. So it really is, you know, five to six days, you know, oh, yeah. for a day show, that's just how it is. And, uh, so there's no time to really edit up until I get done with shows and wrapped up unless I would start to cancel, you know, shows out. Um, and then I go into edit mode and I'll, I'll, 
run edit mode. Traditionally, we would be done around the first week of August with our videos up until the last couple of years. They've just taken us longer. They've been bigger overall mountains of footage to go through. And and uh, thank God we finally got that under control this year. So uh, <laughs> I think we're going to be back on track. Everything is shaping up really well. We're further ahead than we've been in, in actually years. I know if I push as hard as, as I did three, four years ago, but that's, that's craziness. I won't even talk about that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, if I did that, then for sure we'd have them out the first week of August. And I, I think that that's 100% realistic. Well, I shouldn't say 100% realistic. There's always a chance, but we are much further ahead than we've been in a long time. We're finally getting things on track with the editing bottleneck that we've had. And, uh, we're pretty excited about it. I'm really excited for this fall to actually get out there and do some hunting again. Cause I missed out on a lot of last fall. Yeah. So. I remember, I remember seeing that last year, you, you know, you, you kind of, your editing ran over and, in in you know, you had a late start and getting those videos out. So you, I remember we were talking at the show in Harrisburg. I don't think you said you didn't really start hunting till after Thanksgiving or somewhere around then. Right. Yeah. The, the day after Thanksgiving is when I actually started bow hunting. I first time out in the field was two days before Thanksgiving. So wow. we got wrapped up, we got wrapped up with the edit, uh, late Monday night. And then, um, my buddy Al had an Iowa take. So we drove through the night Monday night and we're hunting at sun up Tuesday morning. And, uh, and it took him two days and he ended up getting a really good buck. And, um, and then I crashed that night and, uh, <laughs> it was Thanksgiving that day and I just kind of slept in. I just needed to regroup. And then, uh, and then we headed to, to Kansas and I bo- started bow hunting Friday morning then after Thanksgiving. So yeah, I had a, yeah, I don't need to ever do that again. Uh, <laughs> so, nor do I, yeah. So we'll, we won't be doing four disc videos. Uh, you know, those are, but that, that was, a, a yeah. A- anyways, I'm glad that project's done. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, moving on to, you know, kind of condensing things back down and, and, you know, still producing quality stuff and just not overwhelming yourself. Cause that's, that's part of it. You know, you yeah. can try to try to yeah. do a big elaborate thing and, and it's just a lot and, you know, ends up kind of removing some of the fun of it, I'm sure. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 It definitely did. It, it ran me pretty dry in that department. So, um, but, uh, I'm really alive right now because, uh, because we're, we're getting things headed in the right direction, you know, for the future too. And, uh, we're, we've, we're very far ahead. Like I said, I mean, we're further ahead than I can remember in, in many, many years. So that's awesome. I'm man. Excited. Good deal. But, well, uh, you know, yeah. the main, the main thing I wanted to cover today is, is, is really just elk hunting. And, uh, obviously you're known more for the whitetail side, but you know, really wanted to pick your brain. Cause I know, I know you've been, been diving into the elk hunting the last couple of years. Um, so I want to get into that, but you know, for most people probably listen to this, probably know who you are and have, have probably seen your videos, probably have a bunch of them. But for those that maybe do not know what Whitetail Adrenaline is, just give us a little background, maybe on, on, on what you do, the, the DVDs you produce and, and maybe how you got started. Uh, sure. So, uh, well, basically I got started back in, uh, 07. So our first video got filmed in 07. And uh, my cousin Jim and I were, were the main people in it. And, and we just really, uh, we filmed it, you know, you know, just a different style. We just were having fun with it. Yeah. Like we weren't, 
we weren't setting out to necessarily produce a video. We talked about it and we talked about kind of what we wanted to do. We just wanted to do an entertainment based video. There was a lot of how to, and at that time there was a lot of how to stuff and it, it felt, I don't know. It was just weird, but it just kind of felt like people were trying to force people into their way of thinking all the time, kind of about things. And yeah. we just kind of wanted to just do uh, a video that showcased just hunting and having fun and, you know, showing the mistakes, everything that goes along with that. And people pick up how to things just naturally in, in that. Um, but, uh, so we, so we filmed that first fall and, uh, and didn't really do much with it. And then I, I lost my job in March of 08 and I, uh, drove home from after losing my job and I immediately went to work editing that first video, got that video out and people seemed to like it. And that was, uh, that first video was some public, some by permission, uh, ground. And then the next year, so, in, well, that fall, so that coming fall in 2008, Jim and I, we, my cousin, we grew up hunting mainly public land, a big public land swamp located near our place. And there were some other public land parcels, but we, we hunted a lot of that. We, we were like, you, you know, let's do this. Let's kick off this public land series, you know, and, and do it. And so that's, the way we've done it ever since, you know, the all public land series. Um, so what is it? 11 seasons or 12 seasons of public, all, the all public now, what, wow. whatever that comes out. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you, think I'd know so, so basically in a nutshell for people that haven't seen it, it it's always been filmed a hundred percent unscripted on the fly. So it doesn't have, uh, it's got a different feel to it because of that. Um, which means that a lot of footage gets compiled throughout the year and that makes it a little bit longer of an edit process too, to go through it all. Um, but they get a more, what we feel is a more unscripted, well, it is unscripted. So it ends up being a more raw organic feeling video. We feel like, and, and just whatever that person's feeling at that exact moment with true emotion or true, whatever they're going through or having a good time or whatever that might be. And, uh, so another thing that we've done with, with the uh, videos is is uh, they've always been just available only on DVD for purchase because we've never done any sponsorships either with it. So that's another way that we, uh, I guess, our approach has been to, to try and keep it as raw and authentic. Um, I, I think going the sponsored direction is, is looser now than it was when our company started yeah. as far as I, I feel like the constraints aren't so so heavy like you have to push this or you have to do this so i wouldn't be necessarily opposed maybe potentially someday in the future going that direction but the, the way our company has always been is sponsor free funded by the people and i think people really do like that and thankfully we've we've built a, a, a really loyal fan base over the years um and then another thing that we started into implementing is in for the you know all our this is a whitetail series although we've had some elk gun stuff in the last few seasons all of our hunting has been strictly from the ground too since 09 was the last time we hunted out of tree stands so this will be our 10th season of going after whitetails or whatever we're hunting just face to face on the ground which brings in a whole different perspective versus like a tree stand or a ground blind it, it just got a little bit more of an engaging and a lot more can go wrong too. And I think people really like that too. It's, it's got the highs and lows and all that. So I got a little bit long winded, but that's kind of in a nutshell, what our videos 
are kind of like. Oh yeah. No. And, and, you know, like you said, everything's just real. Um, you know, you're not going back and scripting anything or, Hey, uh, this didn't go well. So let's reshoot this and, Oh, let's incorporate this product and talk about it. You know, it's just like none of that bullshit. Right. And, and I think people, and at the same time you're producing quality video footage and you're killing some great deer that, you know, that most people are like, how the hell did you do that? I mean, you're on the ground, you stalked in, got five yards away and, and you shot this deer with a, a longbow. I mean, it's just, it's insane. You know, it's, 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 it's awesome, man. Props to you. I've, I've been yeah. a big fan of it for a long time and, and followed you pretty much some, since day well, one. So you. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing. Well, brother. thanks. That's good. Uh, you, you know, the thing about the ground hunting is if, if you think about it, 30, 40 years ago or 50, 30, 40, you know, 40 years ago, a lot of people hunted on the ground, yeah. even with a bow and arrow. Bows aren't what they, you know, the bows are near, not nearly back then. They weren't nearly what they are today on top of it. And, and so, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, 15, 20, 25 years ago when tree stands started to come around, all of a sudden there's this transition to where it, it got to the point to where people, I think the, the hunting community almost felt like they were naked, like they couldn't hunt without it. Yeah. Like they needed, you know, they kind of maybe didn't realize, you know, and I'm not saying everybody, but you didn't hear, I'm hearing more and more people are hunting whitetails on the ground or or coming to a show and telling me about a buck that they got on the ground or, and some of the situations are pretty bizarre, like, or, you know, not necessarily bizarre, but, but pretty crazy situations like in a tag elder swamp hunting on the ground where, you know, I mean, it's going to be a close engagement there. You know, I, I remember, you know, this was, not that long ago, a young man, real young man, uh, probably around that 20 year old mark killed a beautiful deer. It was 160 some inch buck on a pub in, in central Wisconsin on a public land swamp. And, and you were, you know, right in the tag of the brush or, or whatnot. And it was an awesome deer and, uh, just a, a cool story, but he killed it off the ground. And, and we hear stories like that all the time. And, and, uh, and so I think it is catching on more with whitetails um, and people are getting more aggressive in that, in that sense. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And, and, and I'm the same way. I've seen the same trend. And for myself, you know, when I first started elk hunting in Colorado, I felt like I was better prepared for hunting elk with a bow because I mean, prime, there's some guys that hunt for a, from a tree stand, uh, over water, ho- yep. water holes, whatnot. Um, but you know, primarily that's done on the ground. And I, myself, since I hunted in Kansas and Eastern Colorado, the years prior doing a lot of spot and stock, it's open terrain. There's just not a lot of cover, not a lot of trees to, to even consider that, you know, I felt like it really prepared me for hunting the West. Um, have you kind of, you kind of felt the same way in that regard? It really kind of helped you kick that off for elk hunting. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so, but it's, you know, I guess I've done ground hunting long enough that it just felt natural to me. Like I didn't feel like it was, uh, I, I think I get what you're saying. Like, yeah. like I think a lot of Easterners that are used to hunting whitetails out of a tree stand and now all of a sudden they go out west and they chase elk on the ground. It's a little bit of a shocker. They're a little bit different, but it was, you know, very smooth sailing. You know, I felt completely comfortable doing that because that's what I do for whitetails. Much as you kind of, you know, gain some some confidence, experience of chasing these whitetails for a couple of years, couple of years. So you didn't have that that harsh transition of what that's like. 
uh, or, or you felt more confident about your decisions when, when you're making them to, to move in on elk or whatnot, yeah. I, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You certainly have to be aggressive and, and, and you know that, uh, firsthand, <laughs> you know, especially the whitetails are just so wiry and jumpy and, and elk, you can get away with a little bit more, I feel like, but you know, it's just, it's, it, it is about being aggressive, taking some chances, you know, trying to make an opportunity using different tactics than, than you normally would just kind of waiting it out out of a tree stand or, you know, waiting for something to walk by. So that's, that's really cool, man. Hats off to you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's one thing that's very addicting about elk hunting for, for Easterners too, or, or anybody for that matter is, and and I think that's why whitetail hunting for me is, is very addicting as well is because chasing them on the ground like that, it's, just got more of an adventure feel to me and there's there's a lot that can go wrong and you're making things happen or or whatnot you're not waiting for an animal to walk by per se so i think it just ends up being a little bit more of an addicting thing because of that mainly i shouldn't say mainly but that's a factor in in why i mean you hear it quite often people that go you know chasing an elk with a bow they're, they they become hooked on it, and I I mean some of it has to do with I mean when when you get an elk fired up bugling, I mean that's a rush you know but then <laughs> that changes out face to face too and it just that 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 puts it over the top oh yeah so. yeah it's a wild ride so so when did you start kind of first start taking elk trips is this something that's been going on for the last couple of years uh, you know when did all that kind of come about yeah so um. 2015 is when we started, I guess I started doing a little bit of elk bow and then we did our first elk gun. So elk gun stuff, we've been putting on our whitetail gun video and we've done, I think pretty, pretty darn well successfully with, with, with the elk gun stuff. Um, but I've been working on a separate elk bow video that's probably two to three years yet out from being produced, uh, you know, as far as there, there's a, there's a mountain of footage there and, uh, <laughs> we're just, just going to kind of, kind of going to chip at it when we, you know, we're, we're made, we're focused on our whitetail stuff. Now that we're starting to get that under control, um, we're going to, we're going to be chipping on the elk stuff w- when we have a chance. And, and so it'll probably be two, three years before that video gets, gets produced. But, uh, it's, it's been, it's been fun. It's been a wild ride, and I've been to uh, quite a few states and on a quite a few hunts. Uh, and yeah, it's it's every bit of addicting. You, you know, it, it is addicting, just like what people said. You know, <laughs> I, I've always been a whitetail hunter, and and you know, I guess I I used to hunt turkeys and I killed a lot of turkeys back in the day, but I guess I got a little bit turkeyed out. I've more recently <laughs> I've been thinking about actually getting back into it again once. Now that we're starting to get this editing bottleneck under control, I'm thinking next year I might I might do a little bit of turkey hunting, you know, <laughs> yeah, just, just to you know, like you know, or break or it up a little bit. I might take it out hunting or something like that. Turkey hunting, you know, that probably jack me up more than actually shooting a turkey <laughs> myself because I've, I've done that enough. But um, aside from that, uh, nothing really interests me besides whitetails for years. But I got to the point where I didn't really enjoy early season whitetail hunting as much as I once did. Yeah. And, and not near as much as the rut. And, you know, 
I guess I just wanted to try something different as far as like, I wasn't as excited about elk bow hunting as I was just about going out and, and getting into the mountains and doing some hunting in the mountains. That excited me more. But, but now that I've been into elk and, and had them fired up bugling and, and been on a, a lot of good bulls and in situation, a lot of good, cool situations. Now I'm addicted to elk hunting, not just because of the mountains. You know what I mean? <laughs> but but oh, it's yeah. funny because now I've break from early season whitetail hunting and, and, and now I, I have more of a drive to actually do a little bit of early season bow hunting for whitetails again, just because I, I think I need, just need kind of a little bit of a break from, from chasing them early season. I had just done it so much over the years that, uh, so yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, 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 a bit rambly there. But. <laughs> no, all all good. Yeah, no, I I completely feel it. And, and like you said, it it is a good way, you know. For that's the great thing about September archery hunting for elk. I mean, it it doesn't really conflict with a lot of um, you know deer hunting season with the rut, so to speak. I mean, if you're looking to kind of get away, I know in Michigan where I grew up, October is pretty slow. I might have hunted like the first day or something, but you know, I wasn't hunting in September really. And that's a great opportunity to go West and, and, and try it out. And like I tell people too, right. like on their first hunt, don't really expect much for your, if you're doing DIY public land, you know, over the right. counter unit, don't necessarily expect to even like get a shot at an elk, just go out there, experience it, learn it, you know, yep. you know, get it, yep. get a feel for it. Take what you've learned, come back the next year and you've got a much better chance at you know, getting a shot and, and potentially getting a kill, which kind of sounds like you've kind of went down that same road. Yeah, I, I would agree with that a hundred percent. And and I've told quite a few people that same thing that are telling me they're going on an elk bull hunt. You know, it, it, there's not like, especially from Easterners, first time elk bull hunters, it's not a very high success rate. Yeah. It just isn't. And, you know, not to say it's not doable or it's impossible by any measure or that you shouldn't go and do it. It's just, it's a whole new animal. And yeah. so like you say, that, that first trip is really just kind of getting your bearings and getting your, you know, getting a feel of, of what it's like and how to, how to dissect this, you know, massive landscape and mountains and terrain. And, and, uh, and I think that first trip or the first trip or two, you really gain a lot of ground if you're aggressive in, and I, I think you're laying a good foundation for, you know, doing a, a second, third, fourth elk trip down the road. You yeah. Know? So that first one, I mean, you might be successful. Sure. You know, um, I got some different things that I've definitely learned. I've, I've learned a lot. Let's, let's put it this way. I went into <laughs> it like super, super rookie. Okay. Like this video is going to be, it's going to be hilarious. It's going to be great because I don't know anything about elk hunting as far as like, I mean, I know what an elk is. I know that they, what a bugle should kind of sound like, but I, you know, like I, I don't dare blow on a bugle call or, or even use a call for like two years or whatever, besides the hoochie mama, which is obviously not a very great call. I mean, it's you can't uh, really mess you know, that up. I mean, you can't really mess it up at the same point. It, it's very limiting. Um, <laughs> you know? So yeah. I did, I did call in a six by six, uh, and, and I missed it on a general over the counter tag in Colorado my first year. Um, but, uh, yeah, inside longbow range, 21 yards or something like that. And, 
and he got the drop on me and I, I, I maybe would have hit him a little bit high anyways, but, but I was surprised at how fast they, how quick they can move. Oh yeah. And I've seen videos where they, they move quick and sometimes they just let it sit there and hit them. You know? Isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, wild. That's it wild. What is speaking they're, they're of that? Fast, yeah. 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 Speaking of that, like what, maybe what were some of the differences that you initially noticed kind of, you know, switching from the whitetail world to elk? Like, was it maybe you could get away with a little bit more? Was it kind of the difference in the, maybe the intimacy with calling and, and, and that whole setup? Like what, what were some of maybe, maybe differences and maybe a few similarities as well? Sure. So, okay. To, to, to give you a little bit of a, uh, uh, give the viewers here a little bit or the listeners here a little bit of a general overlook of what my first season at Chase and Elk was like. So we had a, a big project, edit project that year. And, and by the time that edit, edit project was done and I had a couple, three weeks to kind of get some other business things wrapped up. I, I really, I, I'm very ill prepared when it, by the time hunting season comes. <laughs> I don't have time to prepare, you know, I was shooting the bow, you know, a decent amount that 2015 season. But outside of that, I, I really didn't have any time to prepare as far as like, I didn't blow on an out call until I'm like halfway out west. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Like, and, and, and I said, I turkey hunted a lot back in the day. I did, but I could never do a diaphragm call. Yeah. So, so I, you know, diaphragm calls were not going to work for me. Now, now I have recently, as of this year, I, I got into running diaphragms this spring a little bit and now i'm i'm very comfortable with it I've, i finally got that figured out i don't know what took me so long but now it's, it's not easy second nature but yeah exactly so basically i'm going out west my first season i'm as green as green can be with this you know and i'm not going with anybody that's elk hunted or have somebody out there that i'm meeting up with that's elk hunting and i'm purposely doing this because i wanted to produce this video from a guy that doesn't know anything about elk hunting and, 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 you know, document the journey. And, and to be honest with you, I kind of went into it a little bit, um, like, uh, not thinking it was going to be as difficult as what it ended up being. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which, is, which gives it a great perspective, I think, <laughs> or is going to, um, but what, what I was going to do and, or what I, what I did is, uh, I relied a lot more heavily on since, since calling wasn't really in my arsenal of bait, you know, I, I didn't feel competent in, in being able to successfully call partly because, well, mainly because I didn't, I, I wasn't any good at using a call. And and then secondly, I wasn't, I, I didn't know anything about elk hunting to know like what I should hit them with or how much to hit them with what call. And there's a lot of unknowns there. And I didn't have anybody there that I was elk hunting with to teach me any of that. And I purposely did that. but. Um, so I, I relied, I went approached it relying on my strengths of, of chasing whitetails on the ground and using my eyes. And so, uh, that's how I approached my first season and even my second season of elk hunting a, a lot more heavily on, uh, diagnosing. I, I mean, elk are not that much different than whitetails in the regard of, um, they don't like people, you know, I know that sounds silly, you know, but so basically my platform, the main thing that I try to do with whitetails, with hunting whitetails on public land is I try to eliminate acreage and I try to find spots that are overlooked or spots that people don't realize is public. 
one or the other, or you got to go deep. And in the mountains, you can go deep, but you can also look for pockets that are overlooked or, or people don't realize it's public or, or whatnot. And so that's the same approach that I used for elk hunting. And on, on really every single one of my trips, except for my very first trip, my very first trip is the only one where we didn't really get into that great elk. I mean, we, we had some bugles and we seen some cows and stuff, but that first, that first Idaho elk bow hunt was a, was the roughest one outside of that. Uh, we we've had great success on getting it on six by six bulls or better. Um, wow. Nice. In, in, in four different States. Um, so uh, the the challenge for me is has been getting inside a longbow range on a herd bull with a cameraman. Ooh, uh, yeah. That's very difficult. Uh, I, I you know, and that's one thing that I didn't really think about. You know, I'm used to chasing whitetails where I got a buck I got to trick up and sneak in on, or a buck and a doe, or a buck and a doe and a couple satellite bucks. But I don't have 15 cows and three satellite bulls and a herd bull, and now I got to try to get in longbow range on, on one particular animal out of that bunch. And, you know, you kind of said that whitetails, uh, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but, but you kind of thought that whitetails were a little bit more wary. I, I almost feel like elk or maybe the elk that I've hunted, maybe not all the elk, but I, I feel like they tolerate less than whitetails. A- at least once they like peg you or yeah. think they've pegged you, they don't tolerate like a whitetail. You can trick them a lot of times if you just don't move for a long enough period of time. If they haven't bolted, eventually, a lot of times they will uh, they'll let their guard down and kind of assume that you're not a human and, and just an object or a piece of machinery or whatever the hell, and and go about their business. But an elk, from my experience so far, if they lock up, you know, they spot you and lock up. They they don't. They, they might stare at you for about 30 seconds or a couple minutes or whatever, but all at once they just turn around and they're like, I don't need to be here. Yeah. See ya. <laughs> and, you know, like, and it's like, man, I didn't move. Like this isn't, you know, like white tails I can trick up, but you know, generally if I just don't move, but not, not elk. I haven't found that to be the case very often. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that, and I totally get that side of things. I, I was kind of talking it, talking from this perspective of like, I don't know. I've just found that like when I'm moving in or going in for a stock, like it just seems like their sense of awareness isn't quite as keen as like a white, like a, like a white tail is. Oh, it just sure. seems like I can get a little sure. bit more away with a little bit more, a little more noise, a little bit more movement per se. And, and, you know, like I've had elk feeding out in a meadow and, and I'll just move in, in on them. And I, and I just can't believe I'm getting away from this or getting away with all this movement. And I'm, I'm next thing I know I'm within bow range and it's just like, holy shit, you know, um, you know, so that's yeah. kind of, I was kind of talking more from that perspective, but I totally sure. feel you once you're busted, yeah. you, you're done. They're gone. <laughs> yeah. I, and I would agree with exactly what you just said there. And I, I think part of the reason you can get away with more is because, they're traveling in herds, and and so there's a lot of extra noise being yeah. made by other elk. They're constantly used to that, and then also because they're surrounded by ten or fifteen or twenty other elk or however many all the time. There's all this extra movement, and so I think they use their peripheral vision. Yeah. Uh, I can't say that word peripheral vision <laughs> a lot to where to where they might kind of see you but just assume that you're an elk and keep grazing or whatever. They just assume that movement is from an elk 
and don't realize that you're sneaking up. I, I, I would think that that, you know, might tend to tend to apply some of the time. Yeah, know? no, no, that I, makes that makes total sense. So I can't. Do it. so so you mentioned like that first year you were you know like what was your what was your whole strategy I mean were you doing um are are these some areas that you kind of like pre-scouted digitally like google earth onyx maps trying to find some overlooked public lands were you calling you know the department of wildlife and talking to them on numbers or success rates like what what was kind of your planning process on you know getting started and 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 you know diving into a state yeah yeah no that's a great question um so my cousin jim and i we did we went out to idaho for whitetails in 2014 with a gun okay and 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 we didn't really get into that great whitetail hunting out there um there's a lot of whitetails out there we just didn't get into any anything really that great of size but we ran into this pocket where there was you know a few bulls several cows and and it was just all tore up with all kinds of you know rut sign of elk and 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 whatnot and so i got a bone up my butt to go out there (laughs) and fishing with a bow and i did a i did something that that first hunt was a failure and you know because you, you we didn't get one and we didn't really get on one i mean we had a few fired up bugling one day just a little bit but not that much i mean i did run into some other guys that had said they had been there for like a week and they had been going out there for years and they said like last year with this same amount of days they had like 16 or 17 bulls and and that year that i was out there they hadn't had one they had been able to call in oh wow or anything it was it was a really off year i think for that area but i made a rookie mistake which i never should have made but uh, I would have never done it on whitetails. And, and that being, um, I don't pre-scout anything for whitetails and I haven't had time to really do it. But one of the advantages that I have is I'm not hung up on, on, you know, on, on stuff that I found while pre-scouting. So yeah. it's a lot easier for me to go into a spot and, you know, the day that I'm hunting and realize that it's ice cold and get out of there. Cause I don't have any pre, you know, you know, I, I haven't fantasized about all this sign and all, you know, these elk are going to be in here. These deer are going to be in here or whatnot. Right. Well, I kind of did that a little bit with that spot and I milked it out too long for most of the trip. Um, and, and we just weren't getting on any elk and we were covering a quite a bit of ground. I mean, uh, we didn't just, as soon as we realized elk weren't in that pocket, you know, we moved a couple of miles and whatnot, but, but we just kind of milked out that whole kind of 10 mile radius area right there too long. And then it was, uh, the last day, um, or, or the, the afternoon of the second to the last day, uh, Mike, that was with me, we decided let's drive all the way around. It was going to take us like three hours from where we had our camp, but to drive this, to get around this other side of this mountain range. And let's just, try that side just for the heck of it we didn't even pull camp down and we went around the other side and that's where we ended up we found a big you know good size for 25 uh head of elk but we ran out of light and we ended up sleeping in the suburban that uh that night woke up to moose a bull moose five feet from the suburban uh that was kind of cool but um it was really cool but we ran out of time that next day was our last day we we got into a few elk and whatnot i think we would have had 
we would have had a lot better hunt if we would have just realized the pocket that we were in was was ice cold and and vacated it and and invested our time trying to find a a new pocket you know and and that's the same thing that i would do with whitetails but i just didn't do it i put the brakes on too long on that hunt and uh so it was a failure and then we went to colorado on a general tag and uh i was with uh a buddy of mine he 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 flew out to elk hunt or two two buddies of mine flew out to 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 elk hunt and uh it was a whole new you know an area that i had kind of like okay let's go here check it out whatever i got a little bit of a starting point so well the starting point that i had in mind there ended up being about 30 camps set up there <laughs> oh boy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was overrun so um anyways we had to uh abandon my plan well of course i had hyped everybody up about how great this was gonna be the, the other <laughs> two buddies of mine i had hyped them up and of course once my plan crumbled <laughs> i i no longer had any credibility whatsoever <laughs> and so they started asking people all over this tiny little town where the elk were or whatever and of course all these people didn't elk hunt so of course they pointed to the top of the mountain. <laughs> and they said, oh, all the elk are up high, you know? And, and I, I specifically remember we were at a grocery store getting lunch meat. And my buddy <laughs> Logan asked the guy that's cutting up the meat, like, where the elk are. And he literally <laughs> opened up the back door of the grocery store and pointed, I don't know, 10 miles away up on this mountain. He goes, They're all, all the elk are up high, all the elk are up high, you know? And I can see that up high is these grass flats. I, I forget what kind of grass it is off the top of my head. Um, but I think they're pretty high in protein. The grass is up there. So it kind of makes sense, whatever, yeah. you know? So, so me, I'm, I'm like, you know what? I don't think it's wise for all of us to go marching up that mountain. I was like, <laughs> let's separate. You guys tear that mountain apart. I'm going to hang back with the optics and I'm going to glass all those meadows way up there. And, and then I'll glass some other stuff. And, and I'll, I think it'll be wiser if we just kind of like split up. And, and, and then if we get into elk, then we can kind of come together or whatnot. Right. Well, um, somehow they all convinced me that this was a great idea to at 4 PM that day charge, you know, I think it was a 3000 feet or 4,000 feet climb. It, it, it was crazy. It was stupid <laughs> at that hour of the night to do it, but okay. So by, it was like 11 o'clock at night. We weren't to where we wanted to get yet, but it's like 40, 45 mile an hour blowing winds. There's no place to really set up a tent. So we ended up, uh, you couldn't stake the tents either. So we ended up setting the tents and like, literally it was so steep that these two man tents, you're rolled into the other guy. Like, <laughs> and I can, I can sleep anywhere. So I slept great, but, uh, but like we were using trees to keep the tent from rolling down the mountain, you know, like putting the tent up a tree uh but uh anyways long, i'll i'll try to wrap this up real quick but basically the next day we hiked it was 19 point some miles and i don't know it was like 12 point something and i we we hit some trail or something and i told the guys i was like i'm out of here we haven't seen any elk crap we haven't seen an elk we haven't seen hardly an elk track just a couple like they're not here. I'm leaving. I'm going back to the vehicle and, and that's it. You know? And it was like a, it was like a five hour hike out of there or four hour hike. I don't know. It was a long ways. 
we got out, it was like 1130 and then my vehicle tires flat, you know, <laughs> on top of this. So it ended up being like 19 some miles that we hoofed around with our packs on and we were drained, you know, I mean, it's not like any of us did any, you know, working out or anything or preparing, <laughs> for it, of course. So the next day, um, my buddy Logan fires up some guy at the gas station. Now this guy's <laughs> been an elk, he's been elk hunting, you know, he's, he's like, yeah, I've killed elk, you know, and I can't go this year, but you know, I've killed, killed elk up in here, you know, well, they get all jacked up and they're ready to tear up into the mountain again. And I'm like, nope, not doing it this time. I'm going to hang back and I'm going to glass. I'm going to glass the, the meadows, the edges of the public where, you know, there was some private that butted up to the, to the, uh, the national forest there, but I'm going to glass all this. And that's exactly what we did. And we, you know, saw a few elk come out of the public and the next morning we got, we just, got in there right in that area. And we had about, I don't know, it was like 50 elk or something like that is what, what we kind of figured. There's a bunch of them come through and we were on those elk for a couple of days. Didn't kill anything. I let like a five by five go, or I, I guess he wasn't quite in longbow range, but anyways, um, what ended up happening is, uh, we, uh, almost rolled the vehicle. Oh our shit. First morning. Um, yeah. Uh, and so we were kind of in a spot where uh, it was going to be risky. So we just waited for somebody to drive down the road that would pull us rather than try to actually get out of it. Cause we were afraid we were going to roll it. Well, I had heard, I had heard a couple of bugles, uh, down off way off the mountain, you know, in this more desolate foothills kind of not, not real big stuff. And I just, it was a mental note, you know, like we, we had seen these other elk up near the national forest. They had come out of the national forest. We're going to, that's our plan. We got into those elk for a few days, but then that ended up going dry. So I ended up looking at things and I was like, holy crap, there's a bunch of BLM land right here in these foothills where I heard these couple of bugles come from. And so I investigated that and I got into elk like you wouldn't believe wow. on a general over the tag. And that first night that I hunted that, I ended up, I missed him, but he was like a 326 by six, 320 class six by six. And I literally took a shot off a dirt road that <laughs> I found out the next year. Like, okay, so I. I knew the, it, it was all BLM land right there, but there was like a sliver of 150 yards of, of private where that gate met the main or where that road met the main road. So, but the BLM touched the road, like, I don't know, a quarter mile up the road. So that's where we accessed it. Yeah. But we didn't realize at the time that you could just open that gate and drive down that road, you know, and, and, and access it that way. So I literally took the shot on that dirt road you know, at that bull. I, I mean, it was like a dirt road, you know, I mean, it gets a vehicle, one vehicle every price, three, four days kind of, kind yeah. of road. But all, all these elk hunters, there was a lot of them camped down where we were camped, but they were all driving right up that road to get to the main mountain and driving right by this really easy to hunt stuff. And I mean, the one day we filmed a big giant seven by eight and he, he didn't quite make it on public. He was like 150 yards off. But we've seen a, quite a few good six by sixes, you know, over the course of like five days in there. And, and I mean, they were fired up like 200 bugles in the morning kind of days. I mean, it was crazy. 
So, wow, that's anyway, that's freaking that, that awesome. Was a little man. Bit of a long, <laughs> yeah, that was a little bit of a long story, but that that what I learned about elk hunting is, um, or I shouldn't say what I learned, but one thing that I've learned is I don't like to go quote unquote tear the mountain apart until I have an objective, like I have a reason, like I've got a visual on elk or I've been in there and I kind of know that there's going to be elk in there. I'm not really crazy about going and completely draining my physical uh, capacity, which then drains my mental endurance. Um, I, I like to kind of like hang back a little bit and survey things and get a starting point. Like, and, and then I'll go tear it apart. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Like that was a freaking awesome story, Jared. Thanks for like, seriously elaborating on all that is hilarious and a lot of good tips. Like the first thing I pulled from that is, you know, like your first plan didn't work out. Right. So you had a plan B and then you start trying to find other areas. Then you went and I've done this too, mainly for whitetail hunting. You go into town, you go into the restaurant, you start chatting it up with the locals. They're going to, they're the ones that, you know, are going to put you in a certain spot or, or know a little bit more about the area. So then from there, you didn't make the same mistake and you kind of, instead of barging right in full force, I'm going to, you know, hike up this mountain and I'm going to find these elk. You hung back, you know, you start listening, you start watching, you start glassing, and then you get a better idea. And then you kind of, you know, have a really good bead on a place to go. And, and you did all that. So that's, that's badass, man. I love it. Yeah. You, you've got a direction. And the thing about it is, is if you're in an area that has, some meadows that you can survey. So what I like to do is I run good optics, you know, like I, I run vortex razors. So they're, they're, they're up there. You know I mean? I mean, they're really good, you know, and I can spot elk from miles away. So I'll get in a location where I can glass a, a big area, you know, and if I'm, even if I got a glass elk four or five miles away, I'll do it. You know, in fact, at one time I spotted elk 9.9 miles away. Wow. Like I, I was able to like map it. I was like, I got out. There. I wasn't sure it was elk, but we, we were able to get in the vehicle and go get closer and realize it was elk. And we were able to like pinpoint exactly where they were. Cause there was a landmark right there that we were able to pinpoint like where we were sitting. And I was like, Holy crap. Like I was using 12 by 50 binoculars and I spotted them from that far. Like I wasn't sure they were elk, but I was like, I think those are elk, you know? And, and anyways, um, so what I like to do is I like to get in a spot where I can glass, you know, a broad area because, you know, like if you got 10 meadows, there might only be one meadow where you get a visual on elk that night, you know, or, 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 or in the morning or something. And, you know, an elk chain, you know, I mean, they, they're not necessarily always running the same patterns and things like that, obviously. But now I've got that starting point, you know, and I've got that direction. And the one thing that I know that I've learned about elk hunting and you hear this some years, they just aren't fired up bugling. So, so if they're not fired up bugling, I can still rely on my visuals that I'm getting in these meadows to at least get me in the ballpark of where they're at. If they're not talking to begin with, so, so now I've kind of killed two birds with one stone there. If you know, I've, I've located elk. Now I've got a point of direction. I'm fully charged up. You know, because a lot of Easterners too, they'll they'll drive through the night or they'll push themselves pretty hard to get out west. And then if they go try to charge into the mountain and tear it apart without a sense of direction, by day two they're completely just wiped out or, <laughs> or you know wiped out quite a bit. 
and don't, you know, and, and now their mental, mental endurance is way down too. So they don't feel like glassing as much or, you know, they're, they're just not quite as well off. And so I like to get out there, sit back, relax, you know, and when I say relax, I mean, I'm on the optics pretty hard, but I'm not, I'm just not hoofing it with no sense of direction. So I, I, I get a visual on stuff and, and, and then, you know, once I've got my, where I'm going to head, I get in there. And if, like I say, if they're talking, they're talking, but if they're not, at least I'm in the vicinity of where elk are. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Yeah. Providing they're still there by the time I get there. Obviously (laughs) that's, that's not always the case. Yeah. A lot of variables there for sure. And, and one thing you mentioned is kind of like these overlooked areas. I mean, I know you kind of found the one cause it's kind of happenstance. You were kind of waiting for a vehicle to come by and you heard some bugles, but is, is there kind of any strategy you use to f- find maybe overlooked parcels, like talking to the locals and they're like, Oh, go through this gate. Everyone thinks it's private or, uh, you, you driving roads at night and listening for bugles. Like, is there any strategy to that? Or is it just kind of, you know, maybe you luck into something. I'm glad you brought that up. My general, uh, my general rule when I go hunting is I, I really don't talk to locals unless they kind of strike up a conversation with me. Got it. Um, I'm saying it's a bad thing, but it's led uh, over the years. I, I just seen it a long time ago, many, many years ago. It, it's led me on some wild goose chases and it's also created some awkward kind of situations at times, you know, like, we're talking like 15 years ago kind of thing. So I just kind of like, and it, and it kind of is just, isn't quite the same for me, you know, and not, not, not that there's anything wrong with it. I mean, if I, if I, if I happen to randomly strike it up with a guy at a cafe or whatever, and we get to talking and he's like, and he, you know, points me in a certain direction or whatever, or, or offers to point me in a certain direction, I might go check it out, but I treat it with a grain of salt. Cause what I've learned over the years is a lot of that kind of information is, is uh it, it could be old information i, I mean you know how it is oh I yeah mean, elk on a daily basis you know they're not always in these pockets or, or whatnot and and also if they're telling me about it i'm thinking how many other hunters have they told about it that and and now you know maybe five years ago it was great or whatever but now it might be just completely a zoo in there yeah so i haven't you know so I'm i'm very cautious with that i guess you could say um there was one point that you hit on uh, in your question that you had for me, and I had a really good something I really wanted to discuss. I can't remember exactly what it was off the top of my. I mentioned private gates, and I mentioned like driving around at night listening for bugles. Yeah, that was it. That was it. So, um, fast forward another year, I go back to Colorado on a general tag, and I kind of got myself in a in a bind where I was coming from Idaho, dropped a camera guy off at the airport and was having, supposed to have another camera guy fly in. Well, unfortunately, uh, he had an, an emergency last second, like he was at the airport and all of a sudden an emergency happened. He couldn't come out. So I ended up, I was like, Oh, I'm going to have to self film. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I drove through the night from Idaho, got to Colorado, dropped him off at the airport, got, got, it was like probably one in the morning, I think, right around there, one, one thirty in the morning, if I remember right. By the time I got to my area in, in Colorado, and I immediately was like, I'm going to pull up this road and I'm just going to turn around on this road 
we're at we're at wide and you know i mean i'm just gonna see if there's anything out there you know yeah. <laughs> like, like i'm not i'm just gonna turn around that's all i'm gonna do and you know then i'm gonna go get some sleep and and so i literally pulled up that road and i just turned around in that y and i seen all these eyes light up like a half a mile out there or something i, I don't know it was a long ways or whatever and I was like, okay, cool. Well, it was all private right there, but I learned from the year before that the elk all, all kind of come off of there. And then sometimes they end up filtering in this particular piece on this BLM. Sometimes they end up filtering into the BLM. They, but, but sometimes they end up not quite getting to the BLM too. It just depends on, on the day and the bull and, and what he feels like doing, I guess. Um, so uh, the next day, I end up the next morning, I end up, uh, going into that spot, nothing dead, ice cold. Right. So I pull out and there was another piece of BLM on the other side of this road. So it's like middle of the day. And, uh, I just pulled up and stopped and I started glassing across just this sage, sagebrush crap. It wasn't even very tall. I mean, we're talking like, I don't know. It felt like it was knee high <laughs> and Here's these elk. They're not anywhere in the, any any of the timber or anything. They're laying in this sagebrush that's like knee high. And there's this big, beautiful, like 340 class seven by seven out there. Holy well, cow. immediately, I yeah, I, immediately I remembered from the year before that there was this piece of state of Colorado square mile right there. I was like, they're on it. Cool, you know. But I was like, okay, state of Colorado. I haven't hunted any of that. I didn't know if I could actually hunt it. So I was like, I drove up the next mile to the corner because the other corner where I was by, you couldn't see it. Cause it like the, the road didn't quite get there or whatever. So I was like, okay. So I drove up to the, the next mile to the corner and here the state had sold it over the course of the last year. And I don't even know if it was open. I, I don't even know if you could hunt state of Colorado. Um, you know, some States, that's the way it was listed on Onyx. And, uh, so I, I don't know if you could even do it, but there was a sign up that said it's no longer state of Colorado land. So, um, so I, I played cat and mouse of that bull and he eventually, the last day he finally got on public and I picked the wrong kind of, I'm going to call it a ridge because it is not a mountain or even close to a mountain. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and I, I went to where I, I thought I had a better chance of killing when I sh- should have just stayed in my more visual spot where I'd get my visuals because he was right up there with all the cows. And of course that was, that was that. So I didn't kill that bull, but, um, I guess I, I did kind of use that strategy. I think, uh, you know, the same kind of thing can apply though. Like, I think that's a great idea that you pointed out, like, especially if you're coming into an area that you haven't been or, or you've been to, you know, in the past, and there's been elk there. If you just shut off your vehicle and and listen for a half hour or whatnot, you know, you might you might hear a couple of bugles and at least get an idea of of you know what's going on out there. Like, is this worth my time or not? Or are these elk here or not? I mean, there's no guarantee that they're going to bugle in a half hour or whatnot, but. You know, I would think that that's a good strategy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, on the on the topic of bugling, uh, are you mainly like going chasing elk on these out of state trips during more of the rut, like mid to late September, or have you hunted early season? What's your take on that? 
Um, yeah, I've hunted, I've hunted early season, uh, just a few days into September. And then I've hunted, bull hunted, uh, even as late as the last day in, in Montana for archery, which is, I think the 14th or 15th of October or, or it was that year. I can't remember. It's right around that mid October when, when it gets over. So I've hunted through that whole range, um, of, of, of dates. Um, I prefer generally speaking, I prefer like that third week, like Colorado. I prefer more of that last week, you know, and, and those States, um, you know, but you know, here's the deal is I've done Idaho. I've been out to Idaho and I've been out to Idaho early in September or earlier in September. And it's a more Northern state, but I've always heard more vehicles later September, you know, that that's just my experience so far, but I can only base it on so much, but, um, you know, I, I guess I've just not heard them fired up bugling as much, but on the flip side, I've never been like a master bugler or whatever to try to get them fired up. But generally I think if they're fired up, they're fired up anyways, when the sun comes up kind of thing. And, you know, you know, I mean, I mean, me blowing on a bugle tool to might get, you know, a bugle here and there if they're not fired up, but it's not going to, I don't think create a 200 bugles in the morning kind of, kind of day, you know? And I, I seen a lot of them in Colorado. I mean, it was like, I'm not kidding you. It was like most of them days when I got into them on that BLM, it was like 200 bugles a morning. It was crazy. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For me, I've kind of seen it as a trade-off. It's like maybe the early season, you don't see as many hunters and there's less pressure, but they're not talking as much. It's not right. The, like the full blown rut yet. But if you wait till that third, fourth week, uh, you definitely have a lot more action, a lot more bugling, a lot more rutting activity, but you can run into some more people too, is what I've found. Yeah. Right. Right. I think, I think there's a trade off there. And here again, I think if you're, there's enough area out there, there, there's enough public land opportunity out West. That's one thing that I really like about out West is you got so much ground. And I think that you can effectively dissect it and, and, and eliminate a lot of acreage in there the same way that I do with whitetails to get yourself into, into pretty, pretty good elk hunting without the pressure too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the elk, the the elk are going to find those pockets. So, you know, you should be able to find them too. And it might not be easy. I mean, sometimes it might be like a no brainer or easy to figure out, but if the elk can find those pockets, then, then we have the ability to possibly find those pockets, I guess is maybe the right way to say it. They're out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Um, totally. And and the only elk that are going to, in my experience, the only elk that are going to be, you know, you hear these stories about elk, elk rolling right up in camp. Well, I think those elk either, uh, aren't, are aren't really like it's probably like a draw unit a special draw unit where they don't get a lot of pressure or they're elk that just filtered in that had no clue yeah <laughs> or or whatnot for you sure know? and they just have to filter. but as soon as they start to get hunted in my experience elk don't tolerate they tolerate less than a white tail i think as far as human activity once they know that you're there or what or you're you know you're out there in the saying i i mean they're they're gone they're they're like yeah i'll see it maybe two miles over in two days or whatever you, you know what i mean like 
Like that's just the, how they operate. Like Whitetail, he'll just run three, four hundred yards or whatever, you know, if that, and, and you know, go about his business, or whatever or whatnot. But an elk, no, he's like, yeah, I'll see you. <laughs> yeah, herd animals, man. They they they'll put on the miles. They'll go two miles just to get a drink of water. You know, it's just it's nothing for them. So, yeah, that's a that's a that's a good point. And you know, like you talked about one like avoiding pressure and, and we've finding these overlooked spots, but what is the spot within the spot? Like, I know you talked about glassing meadows and maybe trying to catch them out there feeding, but are you concentrating maybe on a certain terrain as far as like Aspen pockets? Are you glassing any dark timber trying to catch them bedded during the middle of the day when you're driving around? Like, is there any certain features and terrain benches, anything you're keying in on? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I've definitely glassed them in tiny little pockets that you wouldn't really necessarily consider a meadow. It's just a little bit of an opening in the trees, like glassing through the mountains. You might be two miles away from it or, or better. And you're just glassing through because you can tell it's an open enough woods and you might pick elk up doing that. We've, we've definitely done that. Um, generally speaking, like I'm just using my visuals on the meadows to give me an idea of, that there's elk there and kind of their path of direction a little bit. And maybe that'll like pinpoint where they actually are maybe in the timber or how they're, how they're using that. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, no, that does. You're getting a better visual on them. Then maybe you're putting together the pieces to find out where they're coming from, where they're bedding, you know, all that stuff. Right. That's exactly what you're doing. You're putting the pieces together. So I see them in the meadow. It doesn't mean that I'm going to set up in the meadow or, or necessarily right on the edge of the meadow. I mean, there's a good chance that my first time out there, I, I might, you know, set up on the edge of the meadow to start with and hopefully, you know, can get them fired up bugling or, or, or talking or hear them talking, uh, to be able to manipulate wh- where I'm gonna, you know, like m- maybe I can get ahead of them or cut them off or whatnot. And that's, that's a lot of what my strategy has been too has been because I haven't had the calling, uh, you know, I just haven't had the calling dialed in, you know? So I've been relying a lot more on, on, on hopefully they're fired up or, or even if the bulls aren't fired up, even if you, I mean, cows will generally chirp a little bit here and there or whatever to give you an idea, like, okay, this, you know, that here, there are 300 yards over there, 200 yards over there or whatever. Sounds like they're kind of moving this direction, you know, maybe cut them off. I've been kind of playing more of that silent card. I'm going to be getting a lot more aggressive on the calls now that I'm getting a lot better with them. And my last, obviously I had to miss all my elk hunting last fall because I was editing, but the season before I started to get to the point where I could call fairly effectively uh, with a bu- you know, get them fired up with a bugle and, and things like that. So, um, so I'm, you know, obviously I think that's really important to have that in your, your trick bag as well. Yeah. 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 Another, another bullet in the chamber there for sure. Um, yeah. So, so you mentioned like, kind of like cutting them off as far as like, so I want to talk a little bit about, all right, so you've got these elk located, you know, you've got a good idea where they're at. Like, is there a certain scenario that 
you know, you, you look for like, okay, you've seen them grazing over here. Maybe they're on private now, but you think they're going to come on public and you're going to try to ambush them there and move in silent and stalk them. Like, is there a certain window of opportunity or tactic or strategy that you use to, to, to actually move in within shot opportunity? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Like, like if I see what, whether those elk are on public or private, if they're moving in a direction that I, I think I can pin, you know, like catch them while they're still on public, um, that, that, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to try to pick a location where hopefully my idea is I like to, what, even, even if I was a really experienced caller, if, if I can do it without calling, I think I, I just, right now at this stage, I, I'm just speaking from, from what I think. And I'm applying this from what I know about whitetails. I don't like to let whitetails know that I'm sneaking in on them. I just don't, as a rule, I generally don't call the whitetails very often unless it, unless it's last uh, ditch effort or. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 And so I've kind of like, I kind of like, like that idea in a situation, I'm not saying that I wouldn't try to get elk fired up in the morning or whatnot to get a beat on them and get things rolling a little bit. But once I'd have that visual or whatever, if I think I have a pretty good chance to cut them off, like this is where they're going, I'll, I'll probably just lay quiet and tr- try to get into position and lay quiet. And obviously you you got to factor in the wind, which can be a, a real bugger in the mountains, <laughs> yeah. especially in some of those mountains of Idaho where it's like, really steep and constantly changing but i'm going to try to pick a pick a spot where i can catch them where i where it looks like i'm going to have a a, a fairly consistent blowing wind direction that's going to work for me too you know um because you you got to really factor that in uh because you you've got a herd of elk and and if you're trying to get the herd bull well he's probably going to be more towards the back so then you got all these other cows that are going to filter up through and they got a really good nose on them like really good. Yeah. I mean, they're, I'm, I'm not going to say that they're, I mean, they're every bit as good of, they, they have every bit of as good of a nose as a whitetail, if not better, probably better in my opinion. And so you got to let all them filter through and it's a circus with a longbow trying to get in range on them. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what I would do is, is, uh, if I've got a sense of direction that they're moving, I'm going to try to pick a position, you know, a point where I can hopefully intercept them. And hopefully that interception point, I'm going to try to read the, the terrain as best I can uh, to, to, to where the wind's going to hopefully work for me once I get there. And obviously, you know how that works with thermals and currents and all that. Once you get, you can try to read the landscape and be like, okay, I think that wind's going to be blowing like this but it isn't always that way. Yeah. Know? Oh yeah. So. Yeah. Changes so much, so many variables. And, and I'm with you right. there too on the, on the calling side. If I've got a visual on elk or I at least know kind of their general area, I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to move in silent and I'm just going to try to get in on them without them knowing I'm there. I will call if I'm trying to just I'm like dead in the water. I don't have any other options. <laughs> Throw out a locator yep. bugle or, ah, uh, shoot, they're moving this direction. And there's no way I'm going to catch them. You know, I'll start calling or, or doing something like that. So I'm with you there. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, 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 and I've read that kind of stuff a little bit too, from, from guys that are experienced and are good elk callers too. And everybody has their own. I mean, that's the cool thing about hunting too, is, Everybody has their own style. Everybody has their own way. 
And sometimes one person's way works better than the others. And I think ultimately you just kind of find what works for you. And, and also every situation and every animal is different. So certain animals respond differently and, and there's a lot of variables in that. (laughs) For sure. Well, and you have even harder, you know, circumstances to overcome one, you got a camera guy and then two, you're doing, you're doing this with a freaking trad bow, you know, longbow. I mean, I mean, what's that like? I mean, the odds of, of killing an elk, I mean, one, you got public land over the counter unit with a bow, uh, a longbow, a camera guy, that's, you know, double the amount of movement, double the amount of scent. I mean, the, the, the odds are stacked against you. What's, what's that? That's just gotta yeah. be a really tough dynamic. Yeah, it's, uh, that's one thing that I didn't really think about that much when I approached <laughs> trying to do this is I didn't really factor in like, Hey, I'm going to be, you know, like, obviously like, like I love hunting and I love being out there. So for me, I'm going to want to kill the herd bull. Like it's just the, what I'm going to want to do. I, it's just kind of like, I'll eat my tag and not that it, I, I mean, not that it has to be. I mean, like that six by six that I called in, like uh, with that Hoochie Mama call, that wasn't like a real big six by six. He was nothing like that. You know, he was probably like a 265, 270 class bull. Um, but, uh, you know, I did have one situation uh, where I let it 290 bull walk because I had like six other bulls that were fired up bugling and we had five days left on the hunt and we just found this little pot. And I was all jacked up, and this 290 bull just came strolling in. We were playing the silent but violent card, not calling. These bulls were just naturally all fucked up. And this 290 from out of nowhere that hadn't even been talking just kind of strolled on through it. I'm like, holy smokes. Maybe I should do that. But then I'm like, you know, in the back of my head, I don't want that hunt to end. That's a big part of it is I don't want the hunt to end. And so I didn't. And uh, I wouldn't say that I necessarily regret it because on the last day, I almost killed this 340 bull that we had uh, found on the first couple of days, and then we had lost lost him. You know, we didn't know where he went. He vanished on us, and and we found him back. and uh, And I had him in compound range all day long. And and uh, when I was a lot better shot with my longbow, I have I've had some injuries, so I haven't been able to shoot nearly as much the last few years. I just, at that range, I didn't feel comfortable about it. And, and it was, it was out there, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but compound, it would have been a beautiful situation. And that's, <laughs> that's how a lot of the situations have, have went, you know, like compound, boom, I would have killed a seven by seven in, in Montana, probably, you know, if the arrow, I mean, there were good compound situations for that one. That was uh, about a 350 class. And then there was a, this 340 class that same year, that six by six in another state, both of those compound city, you know, and in fact, the big seven by seven, I did have in longbow range twice, but they just weren't good shot opportunities. And so I, I, I couldn't get, get a shot off. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that kind of made my hunt. Um, and that was another situation right there. I, I do want to talk about that hunt. That was New Mexico. Okay. And where, where we got on this 340 bowl. So that wasn't general over-the-counter unit. I kind of had done enough general over-the-counter units and had enough money wrapped into trying to produce this elk hunting video and stuff. And, and we had been on some good elk and, and whatnot. But I also haven't 
you know, hadn't went on a vacation in like a decade or done anything <laughs> hard for myself. So I kind of treated myself and I bought a, a unit wide landowner take so I could hunt the public land in that unit. Okay. So I kind of splurged a little bit. It wasn't a trophy unit. Um, it was still a decently expensive tag for a landowner tag, or I mean, it was actually more at the bottom of the barrel for a landowner tag, but it's still a decent price on that tag, but, um, it, it's not considered a trophy unit, like trophy potential on go hunt is like a three ten, you know, like, so it's not like one of the famous areas or anything like that, you know, and to tell you how unprepared I was for that elk hunt, that's, that's, that's why I want to talk about this a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so, tell us more. Because a lot of a lot of Easterners that have never bow hunted elk and are thinking about it, you know, I was the most unprepared of any do-it-yourself elk bow hunter approaching <laughs> to hunt elk with a bow in the season of 2017. I pretty much guarantee it. Uh, <laughs> because we got done. Okay, so I bought this tag and I was expecting to have our videos released in august like they normally did well it didn't happen so i didn't actually i bought this unit wide take because my cousin jim said oh i know somebody that you know killed a, a pretty good bull in this unit or whatever okay so i bought this unit wide tag for there and then you know it was tied up with editing and the season had already started so i didn't get on the road to like and it's a short season there you got two seasons you got to pick one or the other okay it's like a 10 day or something or nine day season the second season um, so the season had already started by the time I get on the road, it's like the 15th or 16th of the, of September, something like that. I have a guy that's, that's, that's filming with me and we are, okay. So I was in Wisconsin and I know I got to go down I-35 through Iowa to get to New Mexico. We're halfway through Iowa before I even look up where the unit is located in the state. <laughs> okay. And I don't have anybody out there like open things out or you know i didn't have any information like check this pocket out or anything i just had my cousin saying yeah get this unit you know <laughs> so i'm going into this i'm going into this as green as you could possibly like like who would ever do that on a do-it-yourself <laughs> elk hunt like not even know where you're headed like but basically i applied the same aggressive style that i do to whitetail hunting and it worked out pretty well. So we spent that first day, we spent that first day driving. We spent a lot of miles driving and we'd periodically stop to listen for, for elk bugles. You know, we'd blow on a bugle tube a little bit to see if we could get something fired up just to get some locators out there, you know, but, um, you know, the guy that was filming me, he, he, he thought I was crazy, you know, like being this unprepared or whatever, you know, like, but it's, it, felt totally natural to me because that's what I do for whitetails is, you know, I'm not going to worry about too much about the details. Like as soon as we get to the unit, you know, I've got all the public land loaded on, on my GPS cause I bought the GPS card for there. So I'll be able to quickly, you know, figure out where the pressure pockets are and all that. So we're going to drive all these roads, figure out where the pressure pockets are. And we probably put on 250 miles that day. You know, we covered a big area, most of that unit, just driving these roads through it figuring out where the pressure was. And we got, uh, we got a few visuals on, on, uh, just a handful of elk that looked like they had maybe been bumped by hunters. And, uh, that first night, um, we, we pulled off the side of this main, it was a gravel road, but it, it got a lot of traffic and we pulled off to that side of the road. Just, I forget why, 
but uh, I heard a bugle, okay, not that far off the road. And uh, I started looking, and there was this tiny little meadow that was like the size of, I don't know, a three-car garage or something, tiny little meadow, uh, completely on the other side of the road from where I heard the bugle. And there was a couple other tiny little pockets of meadows. And, and I started glassing through there, and all of a sudden, that's where I spotted this big 340 six-by-six. Now, this thing is not far off the road. He's like 500 yards off this main road. I mean, there's vehicles coming up this road every five minutes, you know, and it is the easiest spot to get to much, much like that BLM spot that I found in Colorado over the, you know, on the, on the uh, general over the counter unit. Um, and all these elk hunters are, you know, it doesn't look like good elk habitat at all. There's no hardly any elevation there as far as like a mountain or anything. I mean, I've had a lot of whitetail hunts that were a lot tougher as far as terrain-wise than where that elk was. Um, so anyways, we ended up getting into that elk a little bit, and then there's a 310 class that was compound range, but not longbow range. And then that last month, we lost him there for a few days, and then we ended up investigating that pocket where we had seen the visuals and those few elk that looked like they had maybe been bumped by hunters. And that's where we got into those screaming elk and that 290 walk through and all these other elk were fired up and, and whatnot. Well, that spot ended up going cold. So we went back to try to find this 340. And, that, and that's when we ended up finding him second to the last night. Didn't have time to make a move. But the next day, um, he, he was being real quiet. You know, he wasn't really talking. And, and there wasn't a lot of open country right there. Like I said, there was just a few meadows that were real small, like a three-car garage. So we just happened to catch him pass through there a couple times. And I realized, okay, he hadn't moved off. He had just went quiet. You know, and there was there was a decent amount of hunting pressure within a half mile to a mile of there, but there wasn't anybody really right in that little pocket. But I think he realized maybe that there was some hunting pressure, and he just started laying quiet. and And we got our visual on him, and I was basically I did exactly what we talked about earlier, connecting the dots. Is I caught him in the morning, and I'd caught him at the night, and I kind of connected the dots of his kind of his pattern you know, and I was like, he's, he's gotta be betting. Like he's gotta be betting right up in this, this crap, you know? And so we'll catch him in the morning coming back through there. And that's exactly what happened. And we got on that 310 bull that morning, five minutes before we got on the 340 coming from a whole different direction, again, compound range on him. But all I'm saying is that plan was, was beautifully executed from the standpoint of this elk wasn't talking but just having that visual and connecting those dots of, okay, he's still there. He hasn't went anywhere. He's just being quiet. And, and we con kind of connected those dots the next morning, got right, right in this, the spot where we thought we could catch him. And that's exactly what happened. Just unfortunately a calf got ahead of it. Yeah. Anyways, I, I made a move. He was coming up through, he was coming up through, I made a move, knew where I needed to get, got there, stopped, didn't move. I was crouched onto the ground, and there was one tiny little twig. I mean, it was the smallest little, and that's why I was I was staying earlier. Like I feel like they're every bit as as sharp as a whitetail, because there was a tiny little leaf. It was like two inches long, and it was still moving. And it was a dead quiet morning, and it was still moving just a little bit. And he popped out of the brush, and it was barely moving. And I was like not even thinking that there was a chance he was going to detect me and he like must've caught that or something. 
and kicked me right off. And I was like, you have got, you have got to be kidding me. Like, is like, like how in the hell did he, he do that? You know? Well, this calf was coming up behind him that he was with or whatever. And like an old wise bull would do, he let her go ahead and she ran right up to me 10 yards. Like I was in the perfect route, the perfect spot, but he hung back there and just watched her to see if, you know, he let her basically do his guinea pig. And, 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 uh, and so, yeah, that, that's, that's what happened there. But that was another, the reason I wanted to talk about that is because I'm, you know, that was a hunt that went very, very well when I didn't have anything prepared in advance, didn't even know where I was going to start. Didn't even know where the unit existed in the state until I was already on the road. And then we got in there and we, we really quickly, and, and that doesn't scare me because you can look at aerials and all that stuff all you want. But when you get there, you're going to figure out that there's maybe going to be pressure pockets that are right in those areas that you've identified on your aerials too. You can only do so much with aerials and now your plan's completely shot. So I'm coming into it open mind. I don't have any, invested i don't have anything invested as far as time goes on it so i'm going to drive through all these roads and 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 find all these pockets right away and then i'm going to start really like keying in on on where i think these you know these elk would be based off of the pressure pockets yeah you know yeah Uh, that that makes total sense Uh, you know the synopsis i'm hearing from all of this is just you know you're you're taking it more from a, a strategic approach as in dissecting an area the day of or what's happening that day and, you know, having plan B's, putting on the miles. You're not barreling up the mountain, like so to speak. And, and we see it in your whitetail videos as well. So many inexperienced hunters are, you know, new to an area and myself included. I just, I get there and I'm so excited. I just want to jump in the woods and, and start hunting. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to kill that deer or that elk on that first day. And I just want to jump right into it. But, you know, from what I'm hearing from you, you're taking the the approach from, you know, let's stand back a little bit. Let's observe, let's, let's scout and, and figure out all our options. Then, you know, what's the highest probability and then going from there. That's, that's what I'm gathering here. Yeah. 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 No, you're absolutely right. And that's why, uh, you know, people do see a decent amount of car car footage in our our videos some of the hunts are more inclined for that on the whitetail side some of those open plains that's just that's just the way it's got to be done but I, I do that even in a wooded area i'll go and i'll if i'm going into a new area i'll drive around several pieces of public get an idea of you know what's getting pressured or what appears to be getting pressured is there a pocket that i think is within that that's not getting hit and i'm gonna try to survey that whole area and then i'm gonna make some decisions on whether I'm going to vacate the whole area and start over, or I'm going to like, okay, spot one, two, and three out of, you know, 10 spots that I checked out. This, this is my priority. You know, this is where I think I'm going to have the most possibility. Trust me, I'd much rather jump out of the vehicle and be out in the woods. It's not that, it's not that cool to put 250 miles on your vehicle the first day of your elk hunt or whatnot, just trying to get a feel for the area. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's mental insanity. It drains you it completely mentally drains you, but I also know that it has a lot of strong advantages that are going to probably come together on day three, four, five, six, seven. Whereas if I just tear into there going off a uh, going on a whim, I might eat up a day or two and, and get nowhere. And now I've just 
completely. And now I got to start from scratch. Yeah. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, totally makes so, sense. And, and you have to fight off every inclination to get out of the truck and start walk, you know, just start hunting. Like it's just, it's, it's, it goes against your nature, right? It's like, you want to jump in there and you want to get after it, but you have to fight that. What I've found and you do have to hang back, like spend the first couple of days, one getting acclimated, learning the area, and then, you know, going from there. So that's, that's the way to do right, it. Right. And you can't, yeah. And you can't always do it from a vehicle. Sometimes you do have to, you know, hike back into, you, you know, sometimes from the vehicle, you can observe a, a great spot where it's like, man, if I hike up there, I can really see a long way. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. And, 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 and sometimes you're going on a whim there because now you've just cut yourself off to just observing that. Whereas like from the vehicle, sometimes you can glass this kind of five mile area or whatever. And if there's, if you're not seeing any elk, you can quickly get in the vehicle, run down the road, 10 miles, glass, a whole new pocket, you know, and, and, maybe find out there or in a half hour, come back to the other pocket. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe, you know how it is in two, in, in, in two seconds, an elk can pop out into a meadow from out of nowhere, you know? So, so you, you know, and, and I mean, we've done that, you know, it's, it's just like a few years ago on a uh, Idaho gun elk tag, a, a buddy of ours had this elk, elk gun tag and I had been elk bull hunting that unit. And I had been hung up on these, this pocket where I was seeing elk every day and some bulls every day, some like five buys. And they, they weren't real good bulls. Like I had been on one earlier, a really good six by six earlier. And I was trying to find him back and I just couldn't find him. But I was, I, I got into our grind again. Once again, I got into a grind there where day after day, I was watching these elk from like three, four miles away. And this is a, this, this particular area, it, it's like a half a day hike to get to where they're at you, you know it's it's one of them deals and then you get up there and the elk maybe have moved and, you know and if they move just a little bit now it's going to be another hour hike one of them kind of deals it's it, it's a gnarly mess but i should have abandoned that area and spent my time at least for a day or two checking out a new pocket because i went to montana then the bow season ended in idaho so i went to montana chasing elk for a week and I came back to film a guy that had the gun tag for that same unit. And the first day or the first two days, we glassed that same pocket where I'd been, been glassing. I mean, it's a big pocket. I mean, you, you can, you know, I mean, basically we cover a five, six mile span of the mountainside, you know, and you can't see everything, but you can see a good deal of it. And here again, we were seeing those same elk that I was when I was there late bow hunt. Right. So I was like, I think a lot of it had to do because I didn't have the tag. And so I didn't, so, so I quickly was like, Hey, there's an area of 45 minute drive from here. And I've kind of been wondering about it. You want to drive down there and check that out? Now, now, now for whatever reason, like I knew that that was the right decision to make, to do that. I just knew it deep down, but I didn't do that when I had the bow tag in my pocket. Well, we drive down there. And no more, we didn't have much light, but we had just enough light and we observed a, a beautiful five by five, you know, over 300 probably. I mean, he was a beautiful five by five and then, uh, or pushing it, right. You know, he was up there and, and, and then, uh, a, a beautiful six by six, um, with another herd. And then, and then we, uh, glassed another herd of about 50 elk and it was too dark to really see what was in there but I'm sure there was a couple of great bulls in there. And, uh, 
just because we switched to areas and we were, we had good optics. So we were hanging back. We were able to glass from two, three miles out where other guys maybe wouldn't have been able to do that or pull that off. Or, you know, I mean, you can pull it off if you got a trained eye for it in some of those situations. I mean, obviously if they're in a wide open short meadow, it's pretty easy to see elk at two, three miles with binoculars. But, um, but, uh, you know, the next morning we we were there at sun up on that road again and just glassed them again. And sure enough, there was that big six by six coming through there. And I was like, holy crap, if I'd have known about this pocket when I was bow hunting, that was much easier of a hike to get to, too. And it was a it was cut, laid out a lot better to cut them off, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. You know, it it was just a lot better to work with than where I had been. Well, we went out there that night and sure enough, he come out, he, you know, he fired up bugling a little bit and came out with his cows and we shot him, you know, he was probably three fifteen bowl three right in that ballpark, you know? So, um, but I think that that's, I guess what I'm trying to, the reason I wanted to talk about that a little bit is because I got hung up on a pocket and I should have abandoned it. And, and, and I think, I think you can't underestimate, like, like, let's put it this way. If I, if I was without binocs or binocs and a spotting scope for elk hunting, I'd be nowhere nearly as successful at, at getting and finding these, these elk. And I think it's different when you get more and more experience of hunting elk and, and different areas and pockets that you have experience where you've gotten into elk and you're a good caller and stuff. I think you can be a little bit more bold and have a better uh, hunt by just getting into the timber just because you, you, just because you can read it better. You can tell because there's a, I think there's a lot of timber out there that you can walk into and never hear a bugle, you know, and never elk, you know? So I think the more experience you kind of get, you know, like I think I'll feel more comfortable doing stuff like that with the more experience I get, but for right now, because I don't have that experience, I rely a lot more on my eyes to get, you know, and glassing to get my visuals on elk to get my starting point and then go from there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Makes total sense. And, and obviously you're running a, a very mobile operation. You're putting on the miles. What, what is your lodging or camping situation look like? Are you sleeping in your truck? Are you throwing up a little tent along the road? Are you going into town, grabbing a hotel? What's that look like? It, it all depends on the hunt. I mean, we've, we've definitely crashed in the vehicle from time to time here and there. Um, but quite a bit of those elk hunts, we will do, we'll throw up a tent, um, and, and just, we'll just tent it. And then, uh, okay. Occasionally, you know, like the one hunt that I did in Montana, um, we, we were getting like, like rained out, rained out for like six days. Like from the time we got to the hunt, like you couldn't even get out there with a camera. Like it was just constant rain. So I was like, you know what? We're not going to try to tent this for the next six days when we're probably not even going to be able to hardly really hunt. You know, we'll just get a cat. We we found a little cabin or something that we could rent or for pretty cheap. So, um, so yeah, I'll do either, either or whatever, you know, makes the most sense. But I, I do like tenting. It's just, Sometimes it's a pain if you want to switch areas real quick, you know, it, it can, it, it can kind of lock you down there a little bit. So, you know, I like to, I like to basically just keep my, 
operation pretty streamlined as far as uh, as far as being able to pull down camp. If I am setting up camp, I want to be able to pull down camp really, uh, really fast and efficiently. I don't want it to feel like it's a burden. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, for sure. Makes sense. Um, well, Jared, what's, what's coming down the pipe for the fall? Are you, are you planning on doing a little elk hunting, you know, pending the video editing process or what's that look like for this year? Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what's going to happen is, uh, I'm planning on probably just one elk bow hunt. I'm just going to kind of ease, ease back into it a little bit. I might end up doing a second one. There's, they're just going to be general over the counter tags, whatever I do. But, uh, I might do a little bit of an early season whitetail hunt. Um, just things are a little bit up in the air right now, but for sure we want elk bull hunt I'm, I'm planning on doing. And then we've got, uh, we've got some, uh, elk, elk gun stuff that we're going to do. And then we've got a quite a bit of stuff on the plate for, for whitetail. Um, I won't go into too many details on that because, uh, <laughs> I don't want to bore the listeners, but, uh, but yeah, we got a, we got a pretty jam packed fall. I'm, I'm really excited about it. You know, I haven't got to hunt nearly as much the last couple of years in the fall. And, uh, so I'm pretty jacked about everything. Right yeah. Now. That's awesome. So. Yeah. in, in, uh, the elk DVDs are, are awesome. I mean, they're jam packed. You guys are getting kills. Uh, you know, they're, it's, it's a really, really cool experience to watch. And it's, and it's different than, you know, your, the whitetail stuff, which is amazing as well. But like the elk is a whole different, you, you just, I've never seen an elk DVD or an elk hunting production, you know, like that ever. So it's, Oh, it's, oh, oh you it's, haven't, it's, See, I haven't checked them out. So that I'm, I'm glad to <laughs> that. I don't know what else is, I just kind of do my own thing and I don't know how everything else is getting done or whatever. So, um, Oh, so, yeah. uh, I'm glad to hear it. it's at least got a different kind of spin or twist to it than, than uh, definitely does a little bit of a, at least we have a little bit of originality or whatever <laughs> uh, to some degree, but, uh, but yeah, the guys actually, a lot of people don't know this because the, the um, the guys did a Colorado gun hunt last year, general over the counter Colorado gun hunt. And, uh, I wasn't there to be able to film it obviously, cause I was still editing, but uh, they did pretty good on that hunt too. They got three, they got three bull elk on that hunt. I, I guess they were all six by sixes. They were all, uh, uh, they they were all smaller six by sixes, as Jim would put it. Um, <laughs> but 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 I mean, they were nice. It was cool because it was a different setting than Idaho, and it was it was more of a timber setting. Um, so it was kind of cool to kind of change things up, and they did they did well on that hunt. So they didn't give me the photos. So a lot of people don't know that we did that hunt or whatever, but that's going to be on the, on the gun video. And, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's coming down the pike. Um, that's what I'm working on right now, actually. Awesome. So, Very good. I, yeah. I'm excited to see it, man. Well, uh, yeah. Jared, frick, man, I've, I've kept you here long enough and this has been an awesome episode. I think people are going to take a ton of information from this. Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, before we drop off, where, where can people find out more information, the website, social media, all that stuff? Yeah. Um, you know, our website is whitetailadrenaline.com. Um, that's where we've got, you know, all our videos and things like that. And then, uh, our social media, we got Instagram, whitetail adrenaline, and then Facebook, whitetail adrenaline. And, uh, we haven't, 
been that active with it the last couple of years on the social media side of things. Um, but, but we're going to be getting uh, more active here in the near future. So, um, that's just kind of in the plans in the works. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) but, uh, well, I haven't had as much to talk about the last couple of years because I've been behind a computer monitor so much. (laughs) I mean, how how exciting is that? It's not that exciting, right? I mean, what can I possibly, you know, say that's going to, you know, get people jacked up about hunting. I mean, that's what whitetail adrenaline is about, is about getting people jacked up for hunting. Well, how am I supposed to get people jacked up if you have a computer monitor? You know? Well, I think, I think people, I, you know, I would encourage you to, to showcase a little bit more behind the scenes, you know, show people what, you know, mm-hmm. what it's really like. I think people would find that interesting. So I wouldn't be afraid to go that route either. Yeah. Yeah. We might, we, we might do a little bit more of that on social media. I think you're coming up. So, yeah. um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's been fun. Thanks for having me on and everything. And uh, it's uh, it's actually got me a little bit more jacked up about elk hunting now. I've got all my calls laid out here, you know. You know, my buddy here and I, we were tooting on him here like a month or two ago, and we were getting pr- pretty good. He's he, he sounds better with the bugle than I do, and 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 also the diaphragm calls. But I'm feeling pretty confident about it. But now they've kind of gotten since I got into editing, they're they're still sitting here all laid out nice. But uh, I haven't been touching them as much lately. So now that we've had this talk and got me all fired up, now I'm going to have to get back on them a little bit. Hell yeah. And whatnot. I'm Jack too. Well, I appreciate you, Jared. We'll have to definitely have you you back on for a follow-up episode. Maybe we can talk some more Western whitetail or, you know, open country whitetails that would apply more to the the Western big game here. I'd love to have you back on and go for it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm open to that. So Cool, um, man. Well, sounds yeah. good. Well, I, again, appreciate you. You have a good rest of your day, and we'll talk to you soon. You bet. Sounds good. Thanks, Adam. All right, and there it is, another episode in the books. Big thanks to Jared for coming on the podcast. I had a blast. I learned a lot and absolutely, absolutely loved this episode. So I hope you guys did too. I mean, everything from you know showing up, pretty much not knowing anything and being able to get on elk and you know the strategy and tactics he uses in order to to get on good bulls um, and have success on public land over the counter units man this this is about as good as it gets i hope you're inspired and and i tell you what i'm fired up for elk season september can't get here soon enough so looking forward to that I appreciate everyone who's subscribed and left positive reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, all the podcast hosting sites for Sportsman's Nation, and uh, I sincerely appreciate your support. Um, support. I can't talk. <laughs> Spud Hunter left a recent five-star review on iTunes saying, quote, Love the podcast and the information slash guests you have on. I have been hunting my entire life, and I still find new tricks and tactics to try out in the woods of Idaho. Thank you, and keep up the good work. Thank you, Spud Hunter, for sending that review, and uh, I appreciate you posting that. So if you're listening to this, send me an email to adam at transitionwild.com mentioning this review, and I'll send you a Transition Wild elk season or deer season t-shirt for free. So really appreciate that. Hint, hint to everybody else. If you if you leave a review and uh, you know catches my eye, I'll, uh, I'll 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 do the same. I'll start sending out some free swag. So I uh, appreciate your support. Small token of my appreciation there. All right, thanks to our sponsors, Expedition Archery, 
Check them out at expeditionarchery.com and Skull Brew Coffee. Uh, check them out at skullbrewcoffee.com. All right, that is it. I appreciate everybody. Hope you're having a great day, and we'll talk to you soon.